The following message was given at Grace Community Church in Minden, Nevada. All right. Well, um, just let me just make one quick qualification before we read the passage. I mentioned this last week, but um, you need to understand that what we're going to do is we're going to work our way through the passage before we make any grand conclusions about the nature, continuation, or cessation of prophecy and tongues, and uh, we're going to work our way through the text, um, and then uh, take a retrospective look at those issues through the exposition, all right? So we're going to read, uh, my goal is to go through uh, 19 verses tonight, and um, you do know that we won't make it. All right, verse 1, pursue love, yet earnestly desire things of the Spirit, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands, but in his spirit, or in spirit, he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, that is, inanimate things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, that is understandable, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then... I do not know the meaning of the language. I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also, since you're zealous for spirituals, seek to abound for the edification of the church. We'll stop reading there. So, as Paul gets to chapter 14, so remember we reviewed last week what we had covered uh, uh, quite a while ago now, uh, chapters 12 and 13. So Paul gets to chapter 14. You have to understand that what Paul's doing is Paul is seeking to correct. Right? So, 1 Corinthians 14 is correction of what Gordon Fee calls unbridled expression of tongues. Okay? Let me just say one quick thing about Gordon Fee. Gordon Fee is one of the... Uh, uh, he has Alzheimer's now and, and um, is not active. But Gordon Fee has been one of the most outstanding New Testament scholars for the last 50 years. He is an ordained Assemblies of God minister and um, fully Pentecostal. And so his exegesis of this 
text is is actually quite important. So um, the Corinthians, I have this, uh, quote, unbridled expression of tongues, and Paul is going to tell the Corinthians uh, a few things in this chapter. First, verses 1 to 5, that prophecy is preferred over tongues. Now, this is going to go against the Corinthian sentiment and practice. The Corinthians believed that tongues were the most important. Paul's going to say, no, it's prophecy that is to be preferred. And then in verses 6 through 19, the reason I think we'll, we'll get through this is because Paul kind of makes the same argument a few different ways. And that argument is actually quite simple, and that is intelligibility or understanding is absolutely necessary for edification. In other words, it is, uh, it is the non-negotiable if people are to be edified. They have to be able to understand. And then in uh, verses 20 to 25, uh, by the way, a, a passage that is often overlooked in this debate, uh, Paul gives us the purpose of tongues and prophecy. Um, and again, uh, he will underscore the idea that intelligibility, so when I say intelligibility, all I mean is that the uh, uh, understanding, okay, understanding is even necessary for unbelievers. Okay. Then uh, 26 to 36, he draws out principles of order for the sake of edification. Um, these Corinthian assemblies were probably... Uh, incredibly out of control, um, basically a free-for-all. And uh, in my younger years, I was uh, a part of many um, free-for-alls. And um, uh, I won't tell you all my horror stories at this point, but believe me, when, uh, when you see Paul's insistence on order as being necessary for edification, um, there are living examples all around us. And then he gives a few closing admonitions in 37 to 40 on the issue of authority, which, by the way, ends up being very significant in the overall argument, and then again, uh, decency and order, all right? So in verses 1 to 5, Paul is going to say that prophecy is preferred over tongues. And so he says, pursue love, yet earnestly desire uh, the spiritual, the things of the Spirit, that's how we'll translate it, but especially that you may prophesy. Now, Remember, he's just finished uh, the chapter on love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And now he says, pursue, follow hard after. Okay? So this, the, 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 the Greek word dioko is the idea, in uh, some uh, context, to persecute. Okay? It's to follow hard after something or someone with a distinct purpose. Of course, in persecution, to do them harm. And so Paul says, pursue or follow hard after love. Because quite simply, without love, the most gifted person is still nothing. That's his point. Um, By the way, I wrote a, a short blog this week on pursue love, right? And what I did is I took that command and worked back through 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7, 
on what that looks like. And I think that that's exactly what Paul intends in a sense when he says pursue love. I think he means look back at what love looks like and pursue that. And so it is, in a sense, just putting into practice 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. Now, the Corinthian problem is probably not our problem in terms of the same circumstances, all right? Um, Grace Community Church has been around for 26 years. We've never had a problem of, of, of ostentatious displays of tongues uh, in order to bring attention to oneself, all right? That's, but understand this, the principal issue of their problem can still be the principal issue of our problems. Okay. In other words, you don't have to have a charismatic chaos in order to relate to what Paul is actually saying here, because the Corinthians were incredibly proud. They, were, um, th- they wanted their gifts to be put on display. They wanted people to be looking at them. And the minute that they went that route, they were no longer pursuing love. They were pursuing pride and self-gratification. Okay? Well, it's worth applying to ourselves. What does it look like for me to be pursuing love instead of pursuing pride? Okay. By the way, how many of you have uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, Mere Christianity? Okay. By the way, it's not one of my favorite books. Um, in, in fact, there's, there, there are incredible deficiencies. Um, it, Lewis, for instance, teaches salvation by sincerity. Okay. So a sincere Hindu can be saved according to Lewis, which isn't true. But... His chapter on pride, called The Great Sin, is one of the most brilliant things ever written on pride. If you have mere Christianity, go home and read the chapter on The Great Sin. It is absolutely stunning, right? So this is the Corinthian problem, but it can also be our problem. And so pride actually clogs the arteries of love. Uh, pride actually obstructs our ability to love other people because in order to love other people in the way that Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you have to put other people ahead of yourself. You can't do 1 Corinthians 13 when you're putting other people behind you. Make sense? Pride kills biblical love. So, I'm just going to encourage you one more time. Take that statement, pursue love, and go back through and work through the descriptions of love in verses 4 through 7. Now, the, the reason that I want to sort of camp on this just for a minute is because sometimes we have an incredibly bad habit as as people that are that are preached to regularly and taught the bible regularly all right and that is we become sermon tasters we become accustomed 
to the preaching of the word and the teaching of the word. And, and of course, we're very happy. By the way, I think sometimes God's people can have a false sense of security that creates a laziness when they're in a Bible teaching church and they know almost with a sense of pride, my church stands on the Bible. My church preaches the Bible. My church believes the Bible. And then they go and hear the Bible once a week. And it's good enough for them. And if they actually really really were, were jazzed about the fact that they go to a church that teaches the Bible, they'd go and hear the Bible taught more. But there's almost this, this complacency that just says, that's my church, I'm safe there, my elders are, are, are sound elders, we believe in good doctrine, we believe in expository preaching, and then take a false sense of security from it. And what ends up happening is a lot of times we end up short-circuiting the application of the Word of God because we're so complacent with our, with our privilege. That makes sense? And so, what I'm saying to you is, Do the hard work of application. Pursue love. If pursue actually means to follow hard after something, then effort is required. Right? By the way, you understand that in preaching and teaching, it's not the preacher and the teacher that does all the work. You have to eat. The best meals in the world could be prepared, but if you don't eat and you're just like, wow, that's really something. Look at that. That golden brown skin. Look at that gravy. Awesome. Wonderful. And then you never eat? That's on you. Not on the preacher. Okay? So pursue love. And then Paul's going to say, earnestly desire... The things of the Spirit. Now, this in a sense uh, resumes Paul's argument from 1231a, where he had said, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. And then, of course, then he goes on his, his um, sanctified rabbit trail. I'll show you a more excellent way. And then he expounds love. And here, you get, you get two imperatives together, two commands. Pursue love and then earnestly desire the things of the Spirit. By the way, both of these commands have to go together or you lose what Paul's point is. If you just say, well, I'm the pursue love kind of person and I'm not really worried too much about the things of the Spirit, then you're going to miss Paul's point. And if you're like, well, you know, I'm not one of them sappy, sentimental, sloppy, agape types. I'm more like, just give me the things of the Spirit. Then you're going to miss what Paul says. These things go together. And the reason is, is because a correct understanding of the gifts sees the employment of the gifts as edification for the body, which is the way that you love the body. You can't separate it. You can't separate it. And so, when you see the, the employment of your gift as uh, for the common good, 1211, 
when you're actually serving and employing your gift for the common good, that's how you're demonstrating love for the body. So pursue love and earnestly desire the things of the Spirit go hand in hand. And Paul says, and, and rather that you would prophesy. Okay. Now, we're not going to dig into what that means tonight. We're going to wait. Okay. What do you think the point is here? Paul says, earnestly desire the things of the Spirit. That is spiritual gifts, right? Emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit in, in our lives. And, and, and especially that you would prophesy. Now, I, I don't think that for a single solitary minute, the point is, is that if you ask God uh, that you would prophesy, that God's going to turn around and say, okay. And then you become like Saul. Well, hopefully not. Okay. Right. Saul prophesied. You remember that? The point is, God actually, by his spirit, sovereignly grants gifts as he wills, right? That's 1 Corinthians 12, 11. The spirit distributes them as he pleases. But here, when he says, um, seek especially that you may prophesy, I think that the, that the emphasis is, is in a sense like this. Yeah, zealously, earnestly seek the things of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit, but really seek to prophesy. Why? Because prophecy is what edifies the body. So if you want to put it a different way, you could say, seek the spiritual gifts that edify. When you, when you ask God to equip you, to gift you, ask God for gifts that edify the body. Now, Paul gives very clear reasons in verses 2 through 4, the reason for this this preference, all right? Um, Verse 2, for the one speaking in a tongue, not to men speaks, but to God, for no one understands, he speaks mysteries by the Spirit, all right? Now, by the way, as you could imagine, most of these verses are debated and contested, all right? But... What's clear here is when a person speaks in a tongue, and we'll deal with, is that a foreign language? Is that ecstatic utterance? What, what exactly is that? Paul says, basically, when there's no interpreter present, the only person who understands what's being said is God. That's all. And so no one is edified except for the person speaking in the tongue. And the mysteries that he's speaking by the Spirit are actually only going to be known by God. When there's no interpretation, the mysteries remain a mystery known only to God. When there's no interpretation, the tongue remains unknown except only to God. And then Paul says, but the one prophesying speaks to men for edification and encouragement and consolation. And so, so here's, here's 
the point is, Paul says, so when you're speaking in a tongue and there's no one to interpret, you're just talking to God and, and, and God knows what you're saying, but nobody else does. But the person who's prophesying isn't speaking to God. He's speaking to men and he speaks to men. Notice this threefold emphasis for edification, encouragement, and consolation. So prophecy is a message to men, to people, to the church. And the divine intent of prophecy, by the way, huge clue right here, right? Notice what Paul does not say about prophecy right here. Is there any any word about future predictions? Uh-uh. Prophecy is for what? You see it? Edification, encouragement, consolation, right? In other words, so by the way, this will be important as we go back and say, so what is this thing that Paul's talking about that, that, that's called prophecy? Here's the point, is that it's to men, and it is, first of all, for their edification. It is for their, it is for their building up. It is to strengthen them in their faith. But it's also for their encouragement. Now, the word encouragement could be a little broader. So, um, in, in your mind, is there a difference between encouragement and exhortation? Yeah. So, in encouragement, by the way, you can, you can illustrate this by body position. Encouragement is like this. Okay. Exhortation is like this. Okay. Not necessarily grabbing, but I can dream. All right. So, encouragement is coming alongside. Right. Exhortation is is a little bit more direct. Okay. It is more um, confrontational, for the sake of love. The word that's used actually has the semantic range to to entail both of those. And I think, actually, it should probably lean towards the exhortation side simply because we have edification and consolation on the outside and then exhortation on the inside. So consolation is the idea of comfort, right? So here's Paul, and he says, the reason prophecy is better is because it's to the people of God, and it is for their building up, that is their strengthening in the faith. It is for uh, exhortation. In other words, there's a hortatory function to prophecy, and there's a consolation or comfort that comes with that word of prophecy. And that, by the way, edifies the people. Paul then says, notice this next phrase, very important, the one speaking in a tongue edifies himself. So take the person speaking in a tongue, ecstatic utterance or human language, doesn't matter. And of course the premise here is there's no one to interpret. Paul says, the person speaking in a tongue is doing one thing and one thing only. They're edifying themselves. 
Now, I don't think that self-edification is, um, is inherently wrong. Okay? So some of you, most of you, hopefully all of you, read your Bibles this morning, right? And you didn't read your Bible for the sake of the assembly. You read your Bible for, for yourself, right? That's a form of self-edification, okay? But here's, here's the point, and this is why Paul says it. Self-edification, the one speaking in tongue edifies himself, that ends up being out of place in the context of the gathered church. In other words, the person who speaks in tongues without an interpreter is actually doing nothing for anybody in the body except for themselves. And in the context of love does not seek its own, uh, but actually seeks the common good, then that kind of self-edification does not have a place in the assembled body of Christ. But the one prophesying edifies the church. So you can see the way that Paul does this. So you've got this, uh, this wonderful balance in 2 to 4. And so the one who's prophesying, he actually is, is prophesying for the spiritual growth of the church, for the edification of the church, the encouragement of the church, the exhortation of the church, the consolation of the church. And then here's Paul's conclusion in verse 5. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues. Aha, there it is. Well, not so fast. Paul also says he wishes we were all single. (laughs) Yeah, so the next time somebody goes, Paul says, I wish all of you spoke in tongues. You should speak in tongues. Well, then you should be single too. So uh, when Paul says, I desire you all spoke in tongues, Paul is, um, understand what he's doing. This is a corrective passage but he's not completely dismissing uh, or disparaging tongues. Okay? He's expressing a wish, by the way, which he's already established would not be fulfilled. Chapter 12, verses 28 through 30. Not all speak in tongues, do they? The answer is no. So his, his desire is, is actually just... Um, I wish you all were just building yourselves up with uh, glossolia. And um, Tom Schreiner says the Pauline wish here is rhetorical and should not be pressed, just as Paul's wish that we were all single should not be pushed too far. But then here's the point. But rather that you'd all prophesy. And so again, um, he's going to say, uh, and, and greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. And so when Paul says the person who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, what he's saying is he's not talking about the person himself is greater, but he's talking about the gift is functionally greater. Okay? Prophecy is functionally greater than tongues, and prophecy is the greater gift because it edifies, it builds up, it encourages, it exhorts, it comforts, all right? And then Paul makes this little uh, qualification, unless it's interpreted in order that the church receives edification. So here's Paul's point. 
is that in the assembly, when um, if a person is gifted with tongues, and then there is interpretation, okay, that then means there's intelligibility, and where there's intelligibility, there's edification. So at that point, tongues interpreted functions like prophecy because it is intelligible and it builds up the body, all right? Now, let me just, I'll wait that on that. Um, many of us actually who have been in, in these circles and things um, have rarely, if ever, actually heard an interpretation. You hear tongues till they're coming out your ears. It's an interesting image. But very rarely, if at all, is there an interpreter and an interpretation. So when there's an interpretation, tongues function similarly to prophecy. And so Gordon Fee says this does not imply that such a tongue is to be understood as directed toward the community. In other words, it's still the same Godward speech, but that what the person has been speaking to God has now been made intelligible so that others may benefit from the Spirit's utterance. All right? So that, that opening paragraph is absolutely crucial. Prophecy is preferred over tongues because prophecy is speaking to men for their edification, for their consolation, for their encouragement and exhortation, and that which is intelligible edifies that which is unintelligible does not edify. All right? Okay, so that brings us then to the next part, which is 6 through 19. Now, this is, this is sort of an interesting um, situation that Paul presents here. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by a way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? So in, in verse 6, Paul, Paul opens, and, and what he's basically going to do is he's going to illustrate this principle of intelligibility, all right? But he opens up with a, with a hypothetical that's probably a little more than hypothetical. Okay. Paul had spent 18 months in Corinth. Okay. Based on a number of things that he says in 1 Corinthians 14... Did Paul speak in tongues in public? Probably not. Probably not. In fact, he's going to say, I'd rather say to you five words that you understand than 5,000 in a tongue. So if Paul's principle of ministry is only intelligible speech edifies, what is the likelihood that Paul used unintelligible speech? And the answer is zero. Okay. Now, we know that tongues is the Corinthians' favorite gift. 
when, by, by the time you get to 2 Corinthians, you're going to have this group of super apostles that look on Paul as if Paul is a spiritual dwarf. You get hints of that already in 1 Corinthians, although there's no organized resistance to Paul. There, there, there does seem to be uh, a, a desire for Paul to be, uh, let, let's just say, a little more spiritually flamboyant. So his hypothetical, if I come to you speaking in tongues, may actually reflect exactly what the Corinthians wished he would have done. If so, you say something like this: uh, If 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 I would come to you speaking in tongues, which is what you really want from me, okay. notice what he says: What will I profit you? Well, what benefit would it have been to you? Okay. So so, let's just say Paul shows up and. Um, this this is this is um, no joke. There's this awful, 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 awful heretical evangelist that um, has. Uh, if I said his name, some of you would know who he was, and uh, he'd kick people in the stomach and do all kinds of horrible stuff, and 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 for whatever strange reason, I watched lots of YouTube videos of him. Here was, here was his speaking in tongues. And this is, this is no joke. He would go, blah, blah, blah. Blah, 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 blah. Blah, blah. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. He was from Canada. Okay. Now, I don't know if that's like Canadian. But that was... So, so let's say the Corinthians say, you know, Paul... When you came, all you did was like give us Bible lessons. What we really wish you would have done is just stood up and went, blah, 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 blah. Because Paul, that's where it's at. That's the sign of the Spirit. Anybody can, can open up some parchment and talk about a psalm. We want something spectacular. We wanted something exhilarating. We wanted something titillating. We, we, wanted, we wanted to have our, our, our ears tickled by hearing you just go blah, blah, blah. And Paul says, if I came to you speaking in a tongue, what would it have profited you? What's the benefit? Remember one time I was, uh, I think, 16, 17 years old. My friend Mark Ulbrich and I used to look for Pentecostal and charismatic churches to go to because we thought our church was boring. Okay, True story. And uh, we had some, uh, actually some, uh, unbelievably frightening experiences, all right? Um, tried to take off in the middle of a service one time, and two deacons blocked the door and wouldn't let us leave. Um, but anyway, we were, we, were, we were sneaky. We got around them. We go to this one church, 
and um, service starts, and the service starts, and the music's playing, and almost everybody just starts speaking in tongues. And this goes on for 15, 20 minutes. People are walking around, speaking in tongues, and, uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. Hey, Don, how are you doing? Oh, good. How are you, Chuck? Oh, great. Oh, all right. Blah, 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 blah. And this is how it went. Okay. No joke. And even though I thought that was pretty cool, I kept thinking, what good is it doing? What purpose? Is it serving? That's Paul's point. I could come and speak in tongues. In fact, he's going to say, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Whether that means I speak way more tongues, right? That is way more languages than all of you. Or I just speak in tongues as a practice more than all of you. Whatever the case, the fact is Paul says, I do this more than all. All of you, but here's here's the truth. I could have come and done that and wowed you, but what would it have profited you? Nothing. Now notice what he does here. He says, what will I profit you unless I speak to you, not in a tongue, but notice this, either by way of revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. Now, I think that the way that he has this structured is revelation is given through prophecy and knowledge comes through teaching. But, But you do understand that prophecy and teaching are helpful, profitable, beneficial to the people of God for for the simple reason that they are understandable means by which God reveals himself and gives knowledge of himself to his people. Blah, 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 blah doesn't do anything for you. But talking about the holiness of God or the atonement of Jesus or the empty tomb or the present intercession of Christ or Psalm 55 or whatever the case may be, what does that do? That actually can reveal God to you. That can open the eyes of your heart. That can build you up. That can give you you knowledge and understanding about the most important things in the world and the world to come. And so what's better? What's better? Well, what's better is obviously prophecy and teaching. I've told you this before, but you you do understand that that when a church is not content with the preaching and teaching of God's word, they're always on a quest for something weirder. Yeah. Now, in, 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 in non-charismatic type churches, it's like the next program, the next 40 days of something. Yeah. In, in charismatic type churches, it's the next big thing. 
Now, the, the reason why getting bored with the Bible and looking for the next big thing is so dangerous is because the next big thing has to be outdone by the next bigger thing. And so if I'm content and satisfied with the teaching of God's word, I have enough to last me the whole rest of my life. Right? So, Paul then gives a few illustrations appropriate for us tonight. One is with music. Right, so he says lifeless things. That is, in so the the expression is inanimate things that give sound. All right, and he mentions some uh, some instruments, and he says if there's no distinction, right? That is that is put it this way: if there are no intelligible notes, who will know what's being played? Okay, so. When, uh, when I turned 52, I bought a guitar. Jeremy knows this story. I bought a guitar, and I'm like, okay, you know what? Uh, I'm 52. I want to learn something new and uh, maybe help keep my brain from shrinking. And so I hear music is good. So I, I, I start playing, right? And, um, and by the way, I've made absolutely no improvement, even though I practice every day. All right? I'm just letting you know. So don't expect me to help out with worship anytime soon, unless, of course, you want a a really awful rendition of Buffalo Springfield for what it's worth. Anyway, now, I say to Ariel a few months ago, hey, come here, come here, come here, check this out. What is this? And I do this little, is it a riff or a rift? Is there a T on the end? No, just a riff. Okay, so I do this, I do this riff, right? I'm like, what is that? She wants to be encouraging to me. And she's like, "Uh, a Bob Dylan song? I'm like, no, no, listen to it again. I do it again. I think it sounds familiar. She's trying to be so sweet. I think it sounds familiar. Okay, okay, let me do it again. Okay, okay. Uh, I, I, I know I know that. And I'm thinking, okay, now I think you're just lying. And uh, so, so let me sing along. Well, that made it even worse. But anyway, I was trying to play, you know, Born in the USA. But she couldn't get it. And the reason she couldn't get it is because I stink. The reason she couldn't get it is because I don't know how to play the guitar. I'm watching YouTube videos from a guy from England, and I don't know what I'm doing. Paul's point. You pick up the musical instrument, you don't know what you're doing, and there's no distinction of notes. I mean, I can play Bob Wills, but you would not know. Because it all sounds exactly the same. Paul says, that's that's what tongues are like. The guy that speaks in tongues is just like like a three-year-old on a guitar. Five-year-old on a flute. A four-year-old on a kazoo. That's what it sounds like. No distinction of notes. You don't know what's being played. Then he says, and and, and by the way, so let's talk about bugles for a minute. Some of you remember Ruth Hawley. 
Ruth Hawley's one of our dear, sweet, sweet friends. And um, when Alex turned five years old, she gave him a bugle. And, um, and he learned to blow it, right? I couldn't do it for some reason, no surprise. But Alex would blow this thing. And, of course, he'd do it in the mornings. And so it's got dents in it from us hitting him over the head with it. But anyway... The bugle, what, what was a bugle used for? In, so take Civil War, for instance. There were different bugle calls for different things. Chow time was one bugle call, right? Battle, call to arms, ready for battle, was different. Paul says, if you're Alex at five blowing the bugle, guess what? Nobody's going to know whether it's time to eat or time to be killed. Okay? And that's tongues. That's tongues. And so this is, this is uh, it, actually, it's, it's somewhat funny. I, you won't even know if the enemy's actually coming, right? And so the application that Paul makes is, unless you give a clear word, how will it be known what you're saying? For you are speaking into the air. Now, for people that glorified tongues, that's actually not a a very flattering description, is it? But do you understand that Paul makes that comment in light of the fact that there's no edification? And if there's no edification, you know what? You're just talking into the wind, right? That's his whole point. That's his whole point. And so, tongues in the assembly without an interpreter is useless. And yet, today, just as in the first century, this is the common practice of tongue speaking. I think if Paul were to walk in today and see what happens in certain quarters, he would say, this reminds me of Corinth. And it's useless. Where's the edification? In many ways, and we'll talk more about this once we finish the chapter, but in many ways what Paul teaches us here is an indictment on many contemporary movements that they are Corinthian and not genuinely of the Spirit. Now, Paul says in verse uh, 10, there are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world and no kind is without meaning. So many languages, all right? If you go to Zambia, 
have all the, uh, English is the is the national language, right? But then you have I think eight different tribal languages okay, in one country, and all of those languages actually have meaning. Imagine that saying something that makes absolutely no sense to. Uh, I wish Heiko was here. I could call on Heiko or Lily. And, uh, you know, Lily says things. Lily says things like eight different languages, so that's not really fair. But you're like, what? What does that mean? Right? doesn't make sense to me. If somebody starts speaking German, you know, unless they say, you know, uh, nine, I, I don't really know what they're saying. But those words have meaning. Paul says, so there's all different kinds of languages in the world, and, and they all have meaning. Right? Uh, even tonal languages and languages that make absolute no linguistic sense to us. And then Paul makes this point. He says, he says verse 11, if then I don't know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So if I don't know the language and, you know, let, uh, Phil start, comes up to me and starts speaking Yiddish. And I don't know Yiddish. There's no communication going on. And if there's no communication going on, do you know what he sounds like to me? Bar, 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 bar. By the way, barbarian. Barbarian comes from the Greeks who thought that everybody sounded like they were just saying bar, 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 bar. Okay? Barbarian. Barbarian. Okay? And so Paul says, listen, if, if, if somebody's speaking in a tongue, somebody's blah, 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 I'm thinking barbarian. Okay? No intelligibility, no edification. And so Paul then says, and we'll, we'll wrap it up with this, verse 12. So also you, since you're zealous, this is a little tricky, for, the spirit, for spirits, okay, it's a little different, for spirits, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Now, it, it's interesting because Paul does not use the typical term that he's used for things of the spirit or uh, charismata, that is gifts. And so Gordon Fee, again, our Assembly of God exegete, says this is, this is Paul's way of saying, since you're zealous for tongues. And the reason Fee says that is because to be zealous for spirits would fit with the Corinthian idea that the spirit manifested himself through their spirits by tongues. So you're so zealous for spirits, you're so zealous for, let's just say, manifestation, Paul turns around and he says, here's, here's the thing, seek to abound for the edification of the church. If love does not seek its own, then we should seek the edification of the body. We should seek the good of the body. We should seek the building up of the body. Schreiner says of this, of this verse, he says, the church will flourish and prosper 
when gifts are sought for the sake of others. Now, we'll, we'll pick up the argument, which gets better and better. But let, me just, let me just bring it to a conclusion. Paul's point actually is quite simple. Edification of the body is what's most important. Okay? Not you showing off a gift, putting on display something that you can, you can do. Um, that should change the way that we look at what we do in church, right? So I would say that that probably all of us could say, um, I, I come to church to be edified, right? I find our, our corporate worship very edifying. I find the preaching of the word edifying, right? I, 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 I'm built up by that. That's perfectly right and, and, and good to come to church to be edified. Okay? But do you ever think, I'm going to go to edify? What what this what this means is it's putting the pursuit of love into practice. Now you might think to yourself, you know, I'm very shy, I don't I don't have any um gifts that I know of, which isn't true. Okay? You have something. Okay. But here's Here's, here's the wonderful point. No, no matter what your um, gifts are or aren't, you can edify, build each other up, encourage, console. In other words, the very, the very functions of prophecy are something that everybody in the body can do. And so I would challenge you to think like this. As I, as, I, as I gather with the people of God, what can I do tonight? What can I do this Sunday? What, what can I do Friday night at Bible study? What can I do that will edify other people? Because if we gather together and my sole purpose is that I get edified, right? then I'm not pursuing love. But the minute that I start trying to pursue love and edify other people, what that requires of me is that requires uh, intentionality on my part. I have to be intentional. And by the way, it could be something as simple as this. I know there are people in our, in our body that are just hurting or who are afraid um, or who are really struggling. And I'm going to just pray with one person today. Just in the course of conversation, Lord, bring, right? If, if, if you should, 
according to Paul, pray that you may prophesy. You can at least pray that you would edify. Lord, give me an opportunity to edify a brother or a sister tonight. Right? Give me that opportunity. And then in the course of talking to somebody, guess what God's going to do? God's going to give you an opportunity. And edification may look like, hey, let me just pray for you right now. Edification may look like, let me give you a call tomorrow. Let's have coffee tomorrow. Edification could look like a hundred different things, a thousand different things. Let me just, you know what? This passage has been really helpful to me. Let me just share it with you. Right? To pursue love, to edify, requires that I be intentional and I be concrete in what I'm going to do. And if I come in and I'm just, I'm just like my, my little, I'm cocooned, I'm not pursuing love. Okay? Cocooning okay, is not loving. You open up and you seek to edify brothers and sisters. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, this passage. Lord, what a, what a challenging passage this is for us. And uh, we thank you for its clarity in so many ways. And we pray, Lord, that the things that we don't understand, we would just set aside for a while But Lord, we pray that we would, by your grace, act on the things that we do understand for your glory and for the sake of love. Amen. We hope that you were edified by this message. For additional sermons, as well as information on giving to the ministry of Grace Community Church, please visit us online at gracenevada.com. That's gracenevada.com.